The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! You think he's gone? He's not gone. That's the whole point. He's never gone. Is this some radical new therapy? You see? Well, I must have not been paying attention when you were just talking to me. Do you think that you could repeat the question? All right, let's get this show on the road. What do you all think? Right. All right. Yeah. All right. Hi, how you guys doing? My name's Tom Duggan here with the Paying Attention Podcast. Hi, top Two Guys Smoke Shop at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. We want to thank our sponsors. Before we start, we want to thank uh, State uh, Representative Marcos Devers, State Representative Candidate uh, Francisco Polino, another State Representative Candidate in a different district, Estella Reyes, and of course, our friends at AFC Urgent Care, as well as our normal sponsors, who will also be on the screen today. Uh, this is the State Senate debate. Is the first Essex? Yes, yes okay. sir. For the first Essex State Senate debate in the Democrat primary, there are three candidates. It is from my left, or your right, my left, Pavel Payano, uh, member of the Lawrence City Council, Eunice Ziegler, member of the Methuen City Council, and Lawrence activist uh, Doris Rodriguez. So before we get to any questions, I want to give you guys a couple of minutes. I'm not going to time anything. Just try and be respectful of the time um, to, for each of you to introduce yourself, um, tell people why you're running, and then we'll get into some candidates. I, maybe we'll start with uh, Doris, and we'll work this way. Hi, my name is Doris uh, Veronica Rodriguez. I was born in Methuen, raised in Lawrence. I'm running to be your next state senator because I know I have the capability, the education, the experience to be able to bring funds to the community, both, uh, actually all three communities, it's all of Lawrence, all of Methuen, and parts of Haverhill. Uh, but all of Haverhill, it's a working process with um, all the senators in, in Beacon Hill. Um, I went to Lawrence High School. I graduated from Lawrence High School, went on to Merrimack College. From there, I uh, went to Suffolk University Law School. I've worked for uh, the federal government um, at the IRS. I worked for the state government at the unemployment office and also for the local government, uh, the city of Lawrence, as a compliance officer. Um, while working at the city of Lawrence, I managed to bring $3 million for uh, lead abatement, which uh, was the blueprint uh, that they've used throughout the years for uh, funding. And um, I'm very versatile. I have a lot of experience, and I know I'm capable of doing the job. Uh, Eunice Ziegler, Methuen Council of Eunice Ziegler, I'm sorry. Thank you so much. Vice Chair of the City Council <laughs> as well. Do we know it? My name is Eunice Ziegler, and I'm your candidate for the 1st Essex State Senate District. I'm running because I have the experience and the passion to bring this district forward. I'm the only candidate who's worked in all three cities as a city councilor in Methuen. Currently work in Lawrence at 
the YWCA as a director of advancement, and I used to work in Haverhill in community development as a compliance manager. I'm bringing to the table budget management experience, nonprofit administration experience, as well as grant writing experience. In my tenure, throughout my entire career, I've been working for working families. I've been bringing resources in. As a grant writer, throughout my grant writing career, I've been able to bring in over $8 million in funding for affordable housing projects and capital improvement projects in gateway cities. As your next state senator, I'll be accessible. I'll be the person that you'll be able to count on to bring people to the table because a successful state senator is a strong collaborator, a clear communicator, and someone who's not afraid to stand up for the people and stand up for what's right. So on September 6th, I hope to earn your support. Or before, we do have early voting starting on August 27th to September 2nd at your local city hall. I do hope to earn your support and consideration. Thank you. Pavel Payano, member of the Lawrence City Council. Uh, thank you very much, Tom. Uh, hello, everybody that's here uh, listening here and at home. Uh, my name is Pavel Payano, as Tom said, uh, and I'm running for state senate. Uh, you know, the reason I'm running is I believe that our, our district deserves someone that's going to bring uh, solutions uh, that affect uh, everyone and is going to work to uh, tie in uh, all three communities together. Uh, I'm running because as a, a public servant, I've seen how uh, middle class and working class families are struggling to find uh, the, their version of the American dream. Uh, it's a dream that brought my parents here to this country. Uh, you know, when they came here several decades ago, what they taught us was the value of working hard, the value of getting an education and service to others. Uh, these values are core to me. It's what led me to get a master's in public affairs from UMass Boston, led me to get a law degree uh, from Suffolk. Uh, and it's also what led me to, to work as a teacher, as a social worker, and as a, uh, as a for Congresswoman Songus, where I worked in Lawrence, I worked in Methuen, and I also worked uh, in Haverhill. Uh, you know, these values are important to me, you know, and it's why I've dedicated 12, ye 12 years as a public servant in Lawrence. I believe that politics doesn't have to be zero sum. I think that you could be pro-business and protect workers at the same time. I think you could want healthier uh, neighborhoods and at the same time, uh, you know, give the respect and support to the men and women that keep our neighborhoods safe. I believe that your zip code shouldn't dictate the type of education and opportunities your uh, our youth are getting. Um, that is why I'm running for state senate. I'm going to be an advocate. I'm going to be a champion for your issues uh, and work to make sure that working class families of the Methuen, Lawrence, and Haverhill are getting the, their fair share. Uh, so uh, uh, thank you, and I hope on September 6th I'll earn your vote. All right. Um <clears throat> I guess we should just probably address the elephant in the room right away, right? Let's just get controversial right out right away. Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. We know that all of you are Democrats. We know all of you are outraged by all of this. Um, so if you could not include that in your answer and, and not waste anybody's time, that would be great. My question is, do any of you support any restrictions on abortion, whether it's late-term abortion or kids getting an abortion uh, through their school without their parents' permission? Is there anywhere within that spectrum between total pro-life and your position of supporting Roe v. Wade, do you, do you support any restrictions? And I'm just going to throw it to whoever wants to answer the question, and then I want you guys to talk to each other about it. I'll answer. I, I definitely do believe in restrictions. Um, I, I am pro-choice. I am a woman. I have children. You're a woman? 
Well, I'm saying I'm a, oh, okay. I'm a woman right. I, in a woman's body. Okay, Nowadays, right. you have to clarify that. Because Sadly, that's true. It, it's not like back then. It, even the topic of, of gay was taboo. It, it's a different era. I'm older than the two candidates. So I understand how it was back then. Um, so... Again, I'm a woman who has had pregnancies and has had children and has gone through um, nine months of carrying a baby. Um, and again, I believe that women should have the right to choose. Mm -hmm. But at the other spectrum, I think there should be restrictions uh, because now, we're, now with new technology and new medicine, um, there should be no reason as to why there should be abortion in late term. There are so many tests, so many um, medicine that is available that it shouldn't go to the third trimester unless there's an exception of the exception of the exception. Right. Okay? So that's my take on that, on that issue. Anybody else? So I agree with that, honestly. Really? Uh, okay, good. I feel uncomfortable with late-term uh, abortions. I do feel that we do have enough services and we have enough support to give the opportunity and the access to uh, pregnancy termination if that is a choice that a young you know, woman is looking to embark on early on. There are a lot of complications with late term. There are, however, instances where it may be necessary. Mm -hmm. If it is a life or death situation for the carrying mother, I do believe that they should have that option. Uh, but uh, to be honest, it does make me uncomfortable late term. Uh, so, so I would agree with um, what um, both my colleagues here have said, you know, to, to a point. I think that uh, when we're dealing with health, there's a lot of complexities that uh, come with that. I think it is very hard for uh, us to take um, uh, that believe that one size fits all. Mm -hmm. uh, there are exceptions to everything. And while I have my own particular views, uh, at the same time, I'm a big believer that uh, government doesn't have a right to tell um, another human being what to do. Uh, so that's, you know, where, where I, I, I stand on that. I think that I uh, think that, you know, we are lucky that we live in a state uh, that champions uh, uh, those values. Uh, and I'm, I want to make sure that uh, we keep protecting that. One of the um, other issues here is, uh, and then I will move on from this, uh, is children in schools being able to go to their guidance counselors and getting an abortion, not only without their parents' consent, but without their parents' knowledge. Do any of you guys support that? So, I mean, Tom, I think that it's, it's a whole lot more complicated than uh, a student going into uh, their, uh, their guidance counselor. But let's just say, you know, you have an issue where you have a 17-year-old that was, um, you know, sexually abused, raped by a, a parent or a raised by, uh, by a guardian. I think in a case like that, it makes sense. Again, uh, the, those are the exceptions, for, right? Yeah. So I think mm -hmm. in, in that case, it makes sense for the, the child to be able to do that. Anybody else? No? You know, she don't want to touch that at all? I mean, I, you know me, Tom. I, I don't like to, to just show it and talk just to talk. I feel like it's been said. You know, you want to make sure that kids are safe. If it is a situation where a child was molested by one of their parents, they're not going to want to get their parents' permission mm -hmm. to 
terminate the pregnancy. There's also it's a very delicate situation. But then, I feel that kids but then should, again, I, I think it depends. But kids should be able to go into their it, it counselors' dep- offices and have it, that. But conversation. they should have the relationship with their parents. If they the parents should, are but doing if the, the parent job, is they should the have perpetrator. A relationship with if a parent the is the actual abuser, no, of course, then in that situation they, it's exactly, different. Exactly, but that's what we're talking about. Right? Well, I'm just, I'm just saying that it should. If the come parent to that is level. the abuser then they should have an outlet to be able to go to their counselor, go to their What what if their parent's not the abuser? Even if you don't know the situation at home. Yeah. It might not be a parent. It might be an uncle. It might be a neighbor. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you. There would be unsafe situations in their home that would make it uncomfortable for them to go to their home. But the question is how it's written is that are 16-year-old or under able to go and have an abortion behind their parents' back? That's that's how it's really drawn, and I um you know it it all depends again if there's a violence incest rape of course so if that's the case that's if, the case if, if but if it's not because it's just that they just want to do it behind their parents back without communicating with them for whatever reason I think that that no so so if that's the case if a, if a child is unfortunately molested or raped by a family member. And they're going to get an abortion through their school. Shouldn't the school mandatorily report, because they don't, mandatorily report that that's why they're taking this kid for an abortion. So that that way we can eliminate kids that are just doing it behind their parents' back. Well, Tom, we have, I, we I have don't mandate. Know. Let's, have, let's give Pavel a shot. So I, I don't know any public school that, that does that. I mean, is there a public school in this district that has been, has, you know, in, in one occasion taken somebody uh, to get uh uh, an abortion. From my from my information, it happens uh, fairly frequently. I, I, so, so Tom, that that would be uh, news to me. Now, uh, outside of that, I think that um, I am sure that there are individuals. Look, I I, I grew up in the '90s, um, you know, and I had um, a lot of friends that were uh, uh, teen uh, parents, uh, and I think everyone has different. Uh, issues and I can't from outside be able to um, judge anyone's uh, decision. I don't know uh, what this person's going through. As you know, as, as uh, Council Siegler said, uh, you know, it, it could be you know, it could be an uncle, it could be a, a family member, it could be someone close to them. Like I, you know, we can't sit here and 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 judge uh, an individual for that. I think at the end of the day, um, you know, their decisions are between them uh, and uh, you know, if they're a person of faith, them and God. All right. Anybody else want to wrap up? On, I'm going to wrap up on this. Anybody else have anything so, they want to say? I no, think just we need pre- to be. We need to clarify, right? Mm-hmm. So, like like the fellow counselor said, I too haven't heard of any schools within the district that do practice this. So, I would like to know more information. What the statistics are? I think we're talking in generalities, and mm-hmm. that's that's not a good position to talk. To. See, we I always talk through I always love generalities. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> we we need a con- we need to talk through concrete right. facts, but, right? But we need to understand the world through generalities, or we can't understand the world, right? So if if, if nobody has anything else they want to say on this abortion restriction issue, uh, my next issue is we have seen the state government spend billions and billions of dollars on education over the last ten years, giving to the local communities, and yet educate the kids who are getting an education today are getting a far inferior education than they were getting ten years ago and twenty years ago. 
other than spending more money, what will you do as a state senator to make sure that these kids are getting the education that they deserve and the education that they need in our government schools? So there needs to be accountability, right? We can't just continue to throw money. We need to understand what the structure is for the school systems. We need to ensure that Title I programs are funded. We need to ensure that enrichment programs are funded. We need to ensure that there's adequate mental health services as well in the school. It's all it's it's all a complete package. Is that the job of the school though to have mental health and all these other things? It is, but it's the job of a state senator and the state delegation to ensure that there's accountability and ensuring that the money is going to the correct place okay. to ensure that, you know, teachers are our teachers throughout the district are wonderful. They're going in, but they're wearing six or seven hats. They have to be nutritionists. They have to be educator. They have to be mental health counselor. They have to be financial health counselor. Well, can I ask you, you name I, it. I, I don't think you it's think- only. I don't think it's only um, a state senator that has to be in charge and of accountability. So I think it's also I did the say city, the full state the, delegation, the mayor, the the whole committee, yeah, and especially with the situation with B- Lawrence B- with the receivership. Leaders. Right now, Lawrence is not able to handle. Um, the situation, it's on, it's, they're still on the receivership, which I think as your next senator, that, that would be my priority. The state receivership needs to, to be done. I, in I, Lawrence? I, I agree in Lawrence, with that. Yes. But, but I, I, what I will say, Tom, is that I, I disagree with the premise. You know, so the, you, you started with a question that we're, we're basically uh, putting uh, enough money into education. So what the state law says is that uh, the, the state funds the schools uh, to give an adequate education. When Have you gone to an ad, Do you go to an adequate barber? Do you go to an adequate uh, uh, doctor? No. So why would we want an adequate education for a youth? I agree so, I, so I think that uh, one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is, do, does each municipality actually pay what is required by Chapter 70? Uh, in Lawrence, when I became a city councilor five years ago, I pushed for the city to finally pay the 4% that was required by Chapter 70. You know, we got to look into, into uh, whether Methuen and Haverhill are doing the same. Um, are, are cities, municipalities putting money to make sure that our buildings are being well-kept? I'm going to probably say no. And uh, one of the things that I would like to do that as a state senator is change the equation of the Mass Building Authority so that urban communities like ours um, – are able to actually fund the building of, of new uh, of new properties because we have a very limited uh, tax base. But you said that you pushed, but did you actually get any results? Then? So, so uh, yeah, so I did. So one of the reasons I, I ran for city council was just that. So in the five years that I became a city council, not only is the city of Lawrence paying the four percent required by Chapter seventy, uh, we're also putting money into. But uh, how is that so? If they're on the receivership, it's not the, the school so, committee that's handling so, it. Correct. During so the, the years so that the you LAE were in school board, committee. That, that was not done. So what we're talking about is two separate things. So we're talking about, one, uh, the people in charge of putting the money into the public schools are, is the state and uh, your municipality. No, I'm just confused because you're saying that you did X, Y, and Z. And, Correct. And it's to my knowledge, you, you haven't because well, it's been under receivership. So, so, do- so I agree. So, I think we need to hear some specifics as to what quantifies that success that you've spoken of. Yeah, Paval. Well, 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 thank you. <laughs> to uh, Give me more opportunity to speak about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so the, the fact is this. Um, chapter 70, uh, uh, before uh, I pushed for this, uh, the city wasn't paying the 4%. Now they are. Um, I was the deciding vote uh, at the, uh, for the Oliver School, uh, where uh, my vote ensured that the Oliver School uh, were to be built and uh, made sure as well that a certain percentage of the jobs uh, from that um, 
uh, from that work are going to be done by residents of this area. So the money is going to come back. So uh, you're saying now, school, now they are, but when you were in the school committee, it didn't happen. Now that you're in a different position, that's when it happened, correct? And so I guess I'm confused so, so too sure, because sure, Doris. So, we're uh, also talking about receivership. Were you on the school committee when Lawrence went in, into receivership and, and how did you vote? So there was no vote for receivership. Uh, so what I was, was your what was so, your position then? So yeah, I mean, I, I've always been frank about my position. So when I when I joined the school committee uh, some eleven years ago, I joined because fifty one percent of the kids were failing the math MCAS. I joined because the dropout rate so, uh, was but over. The question was, was what's your over position on thirty five percent? If you give me the respect to to finish my my answer, it is a will, debate. You, were, you will hear it. Uh, so uh, so I was thirty five percent of the kids were uh, uh, dropping out of school. Um, and one of the things that we pushed for was to try to change that. The leadership uh, during that time wasn't with it. We pushed for a uh, trying to get a new superintendent. We pushed to um, do a job search uh, for that. Unfortunately, the, the committee came back and said that they couldn't find anyone to be a superintendent. So the choice that the district had um, was zero. So state we are in, in a debate right state now, came and in, state we're looking came in, for your answer. They came in, and they decided to come in. And change things, and I think that uh, for the most part, there were a lot of positive changes that came from that, and I'm glad that it took place. But now it is uh, over 11 years later, uh, and the state needs uh, needs to uh, transfer power uh, back uh, to the city, and that's something that I'm working on. So that right seems now. like a long answer to say that you were in favor of receivership, and oh, now you're no longer co correct. You know, one of the things, if if you are a parent, if you were a parent 11 years ago, uh, and you had your kids. In Lawrence Public Schools, you are very worried about even sending your kid to, to high school. But you're now saying we have a worry. Program. But you're saying now worry. Now you have a program Understood. at Lawrence High School. Thank you for your answer. And you did not attend. Are, uh, we we got to go one at a time because people at home won't be able to okay. hear. Okay, we, we just had a, a, a whole bunch of fights at the Lawrence High School. This was in the last few months. And there was a meeting. And Mr. Pavel did not attend as a counselor at large. And it was a safety meeting. So I, I don't understand why are you pushing, saying that you're big for safety, but you could even represent yourself at a very important meeting at the high school with the superintendent and the school committee and the public and the teachers and the parents. Why is that? So, Doris, so I've had several meetings throughout the past uh, three years that deal with public safety. But, but I'm asking deal, you in that specific and, meeting. And deal, it was a, it was a public trust the, meeting. And deal it was with important. The, uh, the issues going on within our schools. Uh, I've been adamant uh, to uh, making sure that there's enough um, security uh, within our schools. We've done, uh, we've gone into the schools and we've advocated as much as possible as in my role as a counselor to do that. Yes, uh, as your role is also to show up. And, and, and be oh, there, and, and I have, and, and but, I have. But, but you thank weren't. You, for that. you weren't there I, I, I in have, that important meeting. I have definitely not that, but I've I, I've chaired meetings on it as well. So how, if you're not showing up for a simple meeting that's important to the your constituents, how are you going to show up as a state senator? Uh, the same way that I've been showing up for 12 years. The same way that the uh, uh, people of Lawrence have um, given me the support. Uh, to take on these roles because they believe that when it comes to education, I'm one of the key individuals you know, if, in the Even city if you were to send someone in your spot... You've got to let him finish his question. Okay. I'm okay with you guys talking okay. to each other, but you've got to let him finish I'll let him finish. 
No, that's, that, that's all right, Tom. So say, uh, say your next question. I'm just, I'm just a little bit bothered by that because it was a very, very important meeting, especially with all those fights that were going on at the high school. It was all over the paper. It, it was on it, the press. It was even on TV. And how are you, are you so, as a counselor at large, not going to show up? So, so that is great. So not only was there that meeting, Doris, but there were two, three other meetings beforehand uh, that the Public Safety Committee uh, held uh, and organized that I chaired and I'd made sure that the right individuals were there for that. Uh, you know, a meeting uh, for 48 hours, there's, as, uh, as counselors, uh, we all have, um, Second jobs. We all no, have I, I understand, jobs. but you should have sent someone in your place knowing the no, importance. It, knowing the importance. I, if you couldn't show I up, wish, you should have I at wish, least sent someone. I wish we had uh, the uh, financial support as counselors to have like staff. That's not how it works. When someone calls me at 2 o'clock in the morning because there's a fire, it's me that shows up, not somebody else. The only, uh, the only person here who didn't say that they think Lawrence should get the school's control back is Eunice. So I'm going to ask Eunice... Uh, before we wrap up education, do you think that the Lawrence public that the that the city of Lawrence should retake control of their schools, given that they couldn't run it before? The state's running it even worse now. And so, thank you for for giving me the space. I was allowing my colleagues okay. to have their conversation respectfully. Uh, and that's why I did ask my colleagues the question about whether they were in favor of receivership, and the answer was yes to that in the beginning. Uh, I am not in favor of the receivership. It doesn't work. As a public policy professional, that has been my entire career, and what you know as a public policy administrator is that if you have policies that are in place that do not include the people for which the policies are made for, it is a failed policy from day one. We have the schools in Lawrence under receivership. The parents are not involved in the conversations. The students are not involved in the conversations. We have school committees there that are working hard to try and bring forth ideas, but their ideas are just pushed aside for this board that has no real tie to the community to make up decisions as to what's going to be the best for children within the district. And we know it has not worked. Every time there's been a benchmark set to evaluate whether it's successful or not, it's proven that it hasn't been successful, so they changed the metrics so that it looks like it's doing well. It looks like the students are succeeding, but we're failing our youth. And so, no, I do not support the receivership. I wouldn't have supported it back then, and I don't support it now. If elected, when elected state senator, I would work with the community, with parents, with students, with teachers, with administrators, with anybody who wants to be part of the conversation to reverse the receivership. Look, in Boston, I applaud Boston Public Schools for, for staving off this receivership. They had a lot of activism because they saw what's happening in Lawrence. They did not want that for their students. They did not want that for the community. So no, I am not for receivership. And yes, I will work to ensure that it is reversed. Okay. Anything else on receivership? So, so. I just shortly that um, I do agree with the city receiving, as I said, um, the school system back. But in regards to the receivership, I think it's just the way that it's built. Because the state should be able to help cities and communities. But the way that the law is written, it, it's... It, needs to change. So that's something that would be looked at. But yes, definitely the, the city of Lawrence definitely needs the school system back. Maybe not as um, uh, from today to tomorrow, maybe a progress, a progression with, um, with looking at the, the, all the milestones. 
and then go from there. Sounded like Pavel, you wanted to jump in on that. Uh, yeah, so I think that there is currently work being done to uh, begin that that transfer. And I think with the community in Lawrence, uh, what they're looking for is to ensure that uh, when that transfer does take place, that the uh, the body that takes over uh, is able to actually manage the schools. Uh, when the state took over, one of the reasons they took over was because of governance. Um, Governance within the uh, within the administration, within the school committee, city council, and and mayor. Those were huge, huge issues uh, when it came to that. Um, you know, one of the things that you know, it, it is easy to judge, uh, to look back and judge now without uh, an understanding what was going on at that time. At that time, I saw sixteen year olds being told to drop out of school. I saw parents, uh, you know, faking their address for uh, living in, in other towns so that their kids wouldn't go uh, to school here. Uh, there was a fear of, um, you know, that they're the best and the brightest were leaving the city and going elsewhere. We have uh, the Abbott Lawrence School, which is an exam school. It's the first time in Lawrence. We have over 300 students that are getting a, uh, taking credits at Merrimack and Northern Essex and graduating with one to two Two years of college credits, saving families thirty to sixty thousand dollars. I think those type of programs. I hope to see uh, in Lawrence. I mean, in uh, in Methuen and in Haver as well. So there's been some some benefits from that. Uh, but now it's time uh, for the transfer of power to begin, and it should have began uh, over six years ago. Uh, this was painted as a four year uh, uh, thing, and um, they've been here for far too long. Last question on education. You know, I run into public school graduates all the time who can't do math in their head, who think hate speech is an exemption to the First Amendment, who don't know the, who don't know the, three, the three rights enshrined in the Constitution. Yet they know all about abortion, gay marriage, uh, transgender bathrooms, um, uh, and, and all of the social issues. Should schools be teaching social issues, or should they be sticking to the basics of what we're supposed to be teaching them to teach? Anybody? So, let's, go, so, let's, let, let's let Unison, she's kind of been overshadowed here a little bit. So schools should be preparing our students for life to be able to attain quality of life. One of the things that I've been talking about with parents is that, you know, our schools need to be teaching financial literacy, right? Technically, that is a social issue because that's how we navigate life as adults. When, we're grad when our kids are graduating high school, they don't know how to balance a checkbook. They don't know anything about a budget. They don't know about stocks, investment, or even think about home ownership as a path for them. And that's just wrong because we know that people have different paths and not every child is going to want to go to college. You're going to have students who want to go into the trades. You're going to have students who want to go into entrepreneurship. You're going to have students who want to go into the arts or different avenues. And we need to prepare them so that whatever career path they want to take, they are ready to do so without financial burden. Because we do know that with some financial instability, other things falling. Housing instability and homelessness, substance abuse may also follow. There are other things that are correlated with that. So I want to ensure that kids are being taught what they need to have the best option for quality of life for them and for their family and for whatever aspirations that they may have in the future. Anybody else? I agree as well, but I also do think that they should have some type of knowledge of social the social media, the social um, outlets. Um, th that was your question, right? Well, yeah, we're talking about teaching about sex and transgenderism and global warming and abortion well, well, gonna, and gay they're gonna marriage. Know. They're going to know. And for that, give them the correct information. 
Give but them it, the right information. The, I guess the question is, is that the role of the schools when they can't so, even teach them math and the Constitution no, 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 no. and financial no. literacy? The basics always go first. You have to have the basics. But that's not, that's not happening. Well, that, that needs to happen. And that's why we're here. We care. You know, that's why there you have three candidates for this position. And I believe we all care because we all want to make the system better. Mm-hmm. You know, because when I was in school, I learned, before I even got to college, I learned how to type. I knew how to balance a checkbook. I knew, I knew all of that. But where is that today? And again, this, co- this goes back to the, the, the receivership and how we have a revolving door with teachers not staying. Look at, look at Boston. Boston just right now said that they're looking for 200 and something teachers. You know? So it, those are the things that we need to fix. We need to fix not only the education, but also those that are helping our students learn and, and be able to progress and be you know what they need to do in the future be a better person learn the ropes because if if we don't provide all that information to them they're gonna get it from the internet they're gonna get it from their friends and and for that you know we could have a separate course separate class and and teach them those things but teach them correctly and to be responsible adults you know or teenagers so depending on the the age but i guess if they can't teach the kids the basics of financial literacy, doing math in their head, the first three rights in the Constitution. Why are we entrusting these teachers to talk about sexual topics and other things with kids? So, so well, I, no, no. It, it needs to go to the basics first. Okay. Pavel? Okay. So, so, I'm so, counselor? Sorry. Uh, oh, no, it's fine. You me Pavel. Uh, it's completely fine. Uh, so, so I think, Tom, that um, we're, we're, we're kind of stepping outside of it. Uh, so I think that uh, students learning about critical thinking is very important in this day and age. Uh, and uh, we, we lose that sometimes when uh, we are teaching to test. Um, I think that uh, students learning about what is going on in the world makes sense. That's something that happened, uh, I'm sure, that even while you were uh, at school. Um, the basics do have to be uh, taught. Financial literacy is not something that is a focus um, at the moment. But I would go you know, beyond that. I, I think that we should be investing more in vocational training. Um, I think, you know, I'm a proponent that, you know, higher ed is unaffordable right now. We got to do something to make it more accessible for people that want to go. But I do not think that you need to go to college to be successful. We got to destigmatize the trades. You could be an electrician, plumber, have an amazing job, buy three homes and have zero debt. That's one of the things I want to focus on. I want to make sure that all three of our, uh, that all of our high schools have, um, that when a kid graduates, that they have a actual career plan, that they know what it is that they're going to be doing after graduation. There's tons of students that graduate and are left to themselves. They don't go on to a two-year school. They go on to work at a factory. The factory jobs are leaving. So we have to do something different. I, I, do, I disagree and, with you, and counsel. I, I disagree and, with and you. I would also say, that's why you well, have let him finish. I'll let you disagree. It, it is a debate, Tom. And, it's and a and debate. I, and I would Come also on. say that we, we can't just focus on the end where uh, high school graduation, we got to start at the beginning as well. We have to have universal pre-K uh, and we have to make child care uh, more uh, affordable, accessible for working class families. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, it's okay. I, like I said, like I agree with what you're saying, but I do, I do disagree in regards to a career path because I think all high schools have guidance counselors, gu- guidance counselors that not only do they have freshmen come in and, and make sure from eighth grade to make sure that they're doing the right steps to, to get into high school in regards to SATs, PSATs, preparing them to, to enter. They also are preparing them to exit. Now, in regards to 
Um, what you said about not being able to count in the head, okay? Like you said, being able to do math in the head. This is a new day and age, Tom. Also, we have to make sure that it's, it's not something else. It's not, besides the basics, the basics need to be there at the school level, at the elementary level, in all levels possible. But we also have to make sure that it's not autism or some kind of mental um, setback. Because those are things that back then we used to not test those things. Now those are things that we need to test and we need to be careful about. So it might not just be the um, educational part or the basics. Let's say those basics are in place and you still have students that are not comprehending and not getting it and not, you know, I have a nephew that's, that has autism, so I understand. So that's what I'm saying. We need to make sure that we're testing and making, making sure that it's, it's not the the education part, it's something that else that needs to be addressed. Uh, there's two things I just want to add to uh, uh, kind of add to uh, what Doris just said. Um, our guidance counselors right now are overworked. They're, they are guidance counselors helping you, uh, these kids, you know, graduate high school, go on to college, but at the same time, they're supposed to be therapists. At the same time, they're supposed to, you know, work with families. Um, I think that there should be a mental health uh, professional um, at all the high I agree. schools, uh, especially I agree. Uh, after COVID. Uh, I, I so agree. that's something that I, I would want to uh, get funds for uh, and make sure that happens in the district. Final yeah. words, Eunice Ziegler, Councilor Ziegler? I'm just going to say I definitely mentioned a lot of these points earlier about mental health um, investments. But, you know, we do need to, as I said earlier, we need to prepare our kids for life. And so if there is an opportunity for them to learn about, you know, how they are able to establish a, a life and dignity, a quality of life, then that should be offered to them. I do firmly believe in the rights of parents as well. So if there are issues that are that parents are more comfortable with addressing at home, they should have the right to address that at home with their kids in the sanctity of their own home as well. So it is important for us to prepare our kids because we do, we have seen high teen pregnancy rates in the district as well. And part of that is a lack of access to education around around sex, around relationships, around health, around dating. Is that the, is that the, have, is that the job of the schools, though, to be teaching about sex as and I dating? Said, and... As I said, that is up to the parents. However, if the parents are comfortable with their children learning about safe sexual education within their school, then by all means. But I do believe in the rights of the parents to help to make that decision. But kids need to have access to the right proper information so that they're not put in, in precarious situation. We're seeing throughout the pandemic, we saw an increase in domestic violence and sexual abuse. That is alarming. And that's because our, our kids and, and, Individuals within our, within our community do not have access to the education and the support. We need to reverse that, and we reverse that by starting early. So whether that education is being done at home, at the prerogative of the parents, or that education is being done in schools with active communication between the parents, that education needs to get done. I think I almost like that answer. Um, I want to thank our sponsors before we get to the next question. Uh, Lazy River Products in Drakeit, Pleasant Valley Landscaping, AFC Urgent Care, uh, Tomo and Shaken Seafoods, Borelli's Deli. You guys have to stop at Borelli's Deli during your campaign. Go I, did. Get, I did. I did. Go in and get some great meats. <laughs> Ask for the Valley Patriot sausages. He makes them special for me. EIS Investigations, Marsan and Sun Construction, and McLennan Real Estate Century 21, as well as our debate sponsors, Francisco Polino, candidate for state representative, Marcos Devers, current state representative, Estella Reyes, candidate for state representatives, and Paul Tucker, candidate for 
district attorney. So this is the part in, of, the, of the debate that I love the most because I want to know what you guys differ with your party on. Um, we, we know that the, that the base of the Democrat Party wants all their candidates to check all the boxes. And I think there's going to be a lot of independents voting in this race who don't want you to check all the boxes. So I'm going to ask each of you, what, do, you do you have one or two issues that you totally disagree with your party on? Anybody? The abortion. Oh, well, abortion, very yes. good. Uh, so, I mean, uh, so I would say it's one of the issues that I think that... Well, um, well wait, sorry. I am <laughs> pro-choice. Get that clear. I am pro-choice. But in regards to late the terms. age right. and the late term... Uh, yeah, I, gotcha. have, I have a, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, counsel. I'll give you extra time. Um, uh, thank you. You can call me Pavel, Tom. I feel like you've called me Pavel yeah. like for, for over a decade. Since he was nine. <laughs> it, it feels weird you calling me counselor. But uh, no, so what I would say is like, I think one of the issues where I've run up against uh, uh, some antagonism on uh, has been uh, the, way that, the way that I've worked with the police department uh, in Lawrence. I think there's a lot of individuals that are, um, you know, believers of this uh, defund the police uh, kind of strategy where uh, you have like one police police officer serving uh, an entire city of uh, over 100,000 people. Um, I don't prescribe to that ideology. Uh, as the chairman of the Public Safety Committee, I, I worked with our police department to ensure that the cameras that were being put up, that there was actual laws to protect the privacy uh, of, uh, of the residents, uh, to increase uh, monies going to uh, professional development. So our officers are uh, one of those more highly trained departments that are out there, uh, and also pushed uh, to ensure that the uh, department looked like uh, its community. So we have uh, one of the most diverse uh, police departments. Can I ask uh, you, why is, that, why is it important for police officers to look like me? So it is important for officers to relate to you. Uh, to be able to speak the, the the language that is in the city, and people in Lawrence speak English and they speak Spanish, uh, so you you have to be able for the community to trust you. Uh, so one of the things that uh, the police department started to do, they started working. They have a um, community policing uh, strategy. They uh, are, are courses on cultural competency. There are courses on de-escalation. There are courses on what do you do if there is an uh, uh, a shooter uh, at the high school. So those are some of the things that I worked on. Um, as chairman of the Public Safety Committee and where I, uh, I think I would disagree with my party. So you disagree with the Democrats on defund the police. Counselor? I have to agree on that um, as well. But I also disagree with the party in the way that we're addressing substance abuse prevention. A lot of the debate that's going out there is has to focus on putting additional funding in. While I do agree with ensuring that our substance abuse prevention is properly funded, there's not enough debate on structure. There's not enough debate on accountability. There's not enough debate on ensuring that the programs are actually serving the the kids the way that they should be. I would like to ensure that we're having more accountability, more structure, because let's face it, we're noticing that we're, we're losing this battle of substance abuse. We're continuing to struggle more and more. And that shouldn't be the case when we've been talking about it for decades. We've been talking about how we're going to assist our young kids in the community to divert them away from substance abuse as a coping skill. But we haven't made much ground. And it's because I think we're going about it wrong. We need to really have a deep dive and we need to really look at how we're approaching it and take a different route really look and have the difficult conversations about accountability so that we are making some headway. Uh, I Josh? agree. I agree. Okay. I agree. All right. Very good. Um, 
homelessness. It's the biggest problem other than the opioid addiction. In fact, they kind of go together. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. It seems as though the Democrat Party, which runs all of Massachusetts, and I know you're going to say Charlie Baker's a Republican, but he's really not. Um, <laughs> he's really a Democrat. Um, and I say that as somebody who voted for him twice. Um, but it seems as though with this, the, the Democrat-dominated Massachusetts, everyone seems to care so much about the poor and the homeless, and yet homelessness is, has risen in the last five years. And it doesn't seem as though local communities are able to cope with the number of people coming here who have who have no place to live, are addicted to drugs or alcohol, or even if they're not addicted, but they're on the streets and they have no place to live. What, what is your solution to helping get people off the streets and back into society? Uh, uh, so I had actually spoken about this previously. Um, I think that um, as a senator, I will vouch to get more funds for each community. I, I really believe that each community should be able to handle their own residents um, in regards to those that are homeless. Uh, because I, I know that, La let's, I'll give you an example. Lawrence has a lot of homeless people, but they're not all from Lawrence. They're from different towns. Yeah, two-thirds of them are from outside the city. Yes. So I think that that needs to stop. I think that each city should be accountable for their own um, individuals that are homeless. That will ease the city of Lawrence um, in regards to being able to provide um, uh, help to those that need it because now you're, you're instead of you said two thirds instead of two um, everyone it'll be one third you know it, they might be able to use resources to help the homelessness instead of helping all of them and if there's funds for each community to be able to provide for those homeless people then definitely that's something that I would vouch for and and how we would be able to help those people would be by providing detox programs helping them to get back into the community um, and with follow-ups just the same way as they do with paroles parole um, inmates when they go out they just don't let them out they have a system that they have to report every so often they check their their urine they make sure that they're either working or or volunteering or making them themselves available back back into the community so that's something that we would need to do with the homeless uh, people um, in regards to being able to make sure that they we don't do anything giving them housing if they're not able to pay the rent or sustain themselves or if they're going to relapse so these are things that we need to look at and try to help um, the, the homeless to get back into the community and be productive citizens. So, so it's nice to say that we're going to put more funding, more resources into different communities to address homelessness. But if you don't have a plan, if you don't have the infrastructure, then it goes nowhere. It The money just well, sits I, I in I didn't in, say in that banks. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have an so, infrastructure. So as you Doris, know, so as a senator, it's not only my choice. It would be all understand 40 that. I, I did not say a, you a, didn't a have a plan. Oh, I said okay. the community. I'm just making sure that you're not the, saying me. I'm if the this. communities don't have a plan and you're th and we're throwing money at them, then the money goes nowhere. It just sits in a revolving fund or it sits somewhere in a finance department and it doesn't go to the people that you, it necessarily needs to. Do you think the city's to. not going to so use it? That's what we need. The cities aren't going to use it if they don't have somewhere to put people who are homeless, if they don't have mental health counselors, if they don't have Funds make things happen. The funds do make the funds in order to be able to do the work. Right. However, what I am saying 
is that you need to have a plan and you need to have infrastructure uh, before you just throw, uh, 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 throw funding yeah, at it. And, and, and so if logical. someone's asking you for $100,000 to help the homeless, that, and they don't tell you what they're going to do for them, they don't tell you what staff they're going to but have. That's logical. Them, but that's logical. That's, that's like a business to, plan. It's not just logical. It's, it's, like it's, like it's a business plan. It's like when you want to do a business. So I understand that you guys are getting excited and agreeing with me, but getting excited, right? You need to have a plan. Thank you for agreeing with me. Of course. Anyway, as I continue, we need to we need to continue to look at things strategically so that we're not just having these programs that are good for a year, good for two years, make everyone feel good. They all get together, cut a ribbon and say, oh, we've done all these great these great things for homelessness. Look at us. We're so great. And then five years later, the individuals within those programs are back out on the street in worse position than they are now. That's what I am talking about. I'm talking about us being accountable and having structure in place so we're not continuing to fail the homeless individuals within our community. And that's something that you write into the system. And that's why I said you do follow-ups and you check them and you have them report and you have them tested and you make sure that they're doing what they need to do before you let them go. Who is them? The homeless people. So, so you're so, so. saying you have the homeless people do check-ins and follow-ups with It would who? be a plan. It would be a plan. And, and who administers it, who, the plan? So, so it's it's this is to the government. This goes into my, into exactly. my statement so, in that exactly. we need to ensure we that have, we have we the foundation have in place. Yes. We will have people exactly. in place. Uh, uh, thank you. At the end of the day, we just need to help the homeless. That's that's the point. What's what what's what, what's what Pavel in here? He hasn't had some time on uh, this. Uh, uh, thank you. So I, I think that um, uh, both my colleagues brought up uh, some some great points. Uh, I think it's important to uh, differentiate this issue uh, between uh, the issue that uh, there's a high cost in rent. Uh, and there isn't a market for affordable homes from uh, the issue of drug addiction mm-hmm. and mental health. So I think it's important to make that divide. So on the high cost in rent uh, and uh, not being able to uh, find affordable homes, we have a deficit of 108,000 homes uh, here in Massachusetts. I think that uh, the, the state uh, needs to uh, co- uh, coordinate with... Um, uh, the private sector and create some public-private partnerships, create some in- uh, incentives to uh, create more development across uh, the region. Uh, what I would say, you know, Tom, is that municipalities do have a lot of power. You know, uh, Methuen is, is, is building... Um, uh, you know, over 4,000, you know, housing units. I think uh, Lawrence was around 6,000. Haverhill was over 4,000. But you have communities like Boxford where they only built 750. So I think that we have to nudge or incentivize these communities that have tons of space uh, to build more to ensure that we're able to um, uh, lower uh, that deficit. So I think that's that's one of the pieces. I think well, the other th- piece. This is like how I you said. Th- this is how you like how you said. It all connects, and this is exactly what I said because it's a vicious uh, cycle. We don't do anything giving them homes and. Dor- and Doris, and, listen. And, when you were saying, I I, I wanted to snap my fingers. I'm I completely just, agree okay. with what you were saying. I think the other. I just want to make sure you. Yeah. You, yeah. No. No. That's I do. What I, I was do. saying. Yeah. So okay. I, I think the other piece that um, you know we haven't touched on is that as much as we the work that we do to uh, help these individuals that are are. are uh, facing substance 
abuse. I think that's important. Uh, but we have to also understand that the reason that people come to this area is because, one, we provide a lot of resources. Two, they're being kicked out from other communities. And three, the drug is cheaper here. So we have to figure out a way to make it harder uh, for individuals that are looking for drugs for them to get. Uh, and in order to do that, we got to make sure that we are uh, putting some more investments into um, you know, law enforcement to make sure uh, that we are stopping uh, the drugs uh, uh, to getting from them. So all of uh, uh, so uh, Doris brought up the idea of having people, if someone's from another community, they come to Lawrence or they come to Methuen and they're homeless and, and you have to spend local dollars on them, that their, their home community should kick in for that, right? That's what I, you, yes. were, that's what I, you I were saying. I love that idea. Yes. So would you also say the same thing for illegal aliens who come here, who aren't from here, who aren't supposed to be here, who are homeless and we're spending money on them and trying to help them and feed them and make them... So, so, so one, I, I don't like the word illegal. Undo the un undocumented immigrants... I know, you Democrats have all these... you got to redefine <laughs> everything make it sound better than it is. Uh, well, uh, well, Tom, I, I think that undocumented immigrants are, are working. I mean, undocumented immigrants are folks that are doing the jobs that uh, nobody else wants. And, you, somebody, and believe it or not, they have homes. And, 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 they, and they pay taxes. Uh, so uh, I I wouldn't I would not agree with the premise that they're being taken care of. I'm wondering what planet I'm living on. So, like, well, how are illegal aliens paying taxes, and how are illegal aliens getting homes? How, let's go back to the homeless question. How are we identifying what home community a homeless individual is coming from? How do you even track that? Well, I, I, how I track it, at least in Lawrence, when we have TMF, the family dinner for the homeless every Wednesday night, uh, we ask them uh, when they when they get in line, we ask them to sign in, even if they're just going to give us their street name, so we can identify who they are. We're talking to them, and we ask them where they're from. Yeah. And at least two thirds or more yeah. are not from Lawrence. They're from Methuen and over Boston. We're getting a lot of people from Boston. We had over thirty people from Boston two so, two Wednesdays ago who had just gotten off a, off a bus from Boston, and they're now homeless in well, Lawrence. And now we're trying to we're trying to service them because well, nobody I've, I've, nobody I've, should be hungry. I've, no matter I've who heard they are. Of, uh, of folks that um, you know work with the homeless have said that they've seen uh, police officers from Cambridge actually drop Dropping people off, off That's at, the, at, at the McDonald's. When they were asked why are you doing this, they said, "Well, we heard that uh, in Lawrence they'll they'll find help." The issue is that you have communities like Boston, like Cambridge, that have a lot of wealth making decisions that they are not going to take care of the folks that are in most in need. And because uh, folks in this area are more likely to help out their fellow man, um, you're seeing a lot of individuals flock to us. Anybody else? Eunice, you seem quiet on this one. Yeah, no. So I, I think that going back to what I said earlier, we definitely need to be more strategic around how we're, we're creating resources for, to address the homeless, the homeless issues, mm -hmm. right? To give homeless individuals more structure so that they're able to pull themselves out of homelessness. One of the things that I did when I used to work at the Lowell Housing Authority, I worked in a, a program called the Family Self-Sufficiency Program, which I feel was a great program that should be expanded. And if I'm elected, when I'm elected state senator, I would look to expand that program across various uh, nonprofit organizations and public housing authorities. What it the premise of it is that the individual enters within the program and they set out a five-year plan of goals that they want to accomplish in each of the five years, right? It may be that they want to attain a certificate. It may be that they want to, uh, uh, they want to purchase a home. It may be that they want to buy a car or to get a, um, to just get a job or to get a better pay or promotion at their job. And so they are then set up with benchmarks each year as to how they're going to get to that final spot. 
We need to continue to have structures in place like that where people can actually see from point A to point B where they are, where they're going. That's where we need to get back to. Yes, there needs to be additional funding for that. Yes, there needs to be collaboration in order to make that happen. But there needs to be a plan in place in order for that to happen. And not one size fits all. What's going to work in Methuen may not work in Lawrence, vice versa, may not work in Haverhill. So we need to understand and have boots on the ground for people who can get around the table. And this, these type of planning sessions, they need to include community members. Like I said in the beginning, if you have policy that does not include the community, it's a failed policy. So as your next state senator, I'd be bringing people to the table so we can come up with real solutions based on real facts as to what's happening on the ground in the community, how we can really get some headway around homelessness and not just talk about things that are nice and just throw out studies that are nice, but actually come up with concrete plans that are going to to make a difference. So I think one, one, one of the things that we definitely need to happen, I mean, how, how long is the waiting list for, for a detox program? You know, I think that we have to uh, ensure that, um, you know, any person that is looking to get into detox, which is hard, I think, to, to nudge them in that Very direction. difficult. Yeah. That, yes, but then that we... if they say yes, that there's actually a bed uh, for them. But the you problem know? is, is that if, we, if only one community is getting all these people, th the funds are not going to be enough. And that's why I'm saying that other communities need to input. That's that's the part issue. of it is that these these programs are also understaffed and we're not we're also not even talking about the other issue that there's a high turnover in, in the mental health field because it is a difficult field. The pay is not great and there's a lot of trauma within the field as well. We need to look at how we encourage more people to go into the field, whether we're giving incentives for, for college education, whether we're doing pipeline programs where we're we're doing apprenticeships for folks within the field, but support supporting people, the boots on the ground that are doing the work, because you can throw money at anything. But if you don't have the people who are going to do the work on the ground, it's not going to go anywhere. But that's the case everywhere. Because I just finished mentioning Boston is looking for 200 and something teachers. It's every field we're short in staff. Every field we need people to go back to work and provide incentives. So the, the, the president just said that he was going to provide a, a $10,000 uh, student loan forgiveness. $10,000, that's just a tickle. That's no offense, but... <laughs> oh, so what do you guys true. think about this uh, uh, wiping out people's student debt? Uh, I think it should happen. Yeah, uh, I, I think I, so, it's too. It's going to be yeah. Yeah. immensely so helpful. It's, you know, we were able... Um, when we took off the PPE loans, there were t tons of uh, folks, small businesses, nonprofits that took out loans, 60000 70000 over, uh, and those loans were forgiven. Uh, right now... Uh, there's a lot of individuals that um, these loans are stopping them from having kids, are stopping them from buying homes, are stopping them from creating a business. If we were able to do that, what you would see is more people shopping, more people making the type of uh, purchases and things that uh, would stimulate and the economy. Exactly, because right now we're looking at probably a recession, unfortunately. Agreed. And that's, that's what we need to do. You know, I believe it or not, I, I kind of agree with you guys on this. But the, the other side, the side that I'm normally on, on the conservative side, does have a point that why should the people who didn't go to college, people who couldn't afford to go to college, or the people who went and paid their own way and paid back their loans, 
why should they be paying for other people's? So, I mean, colleges? but you can say the same thing about the PPE loans, right? right? Why should other people be paying for the forgiveness of those loans? And the reason behind that, that both Democrats and Republicans agreed, is that if we do that, by, by doing that, these folks are going to stimulate the economy, is going to push more people uh, to get back, um, you know, uh, you know to, to their jobs, which is what it did, right? So in this, the same scenario works for business owners, why can't it work for the regular people that make up this country? And at the same time, the people who are going to be benefiting from the loan forgiveness, they are taxpayers as well. They are paying into the system. But because of that, them being saddled by their this debt, they're not able to get ahead. And so by allowing them to, to have this benefit of this loan forgiveness, they are going to be getting, getting ahead. They are going to be, you never know, that might be the difference between our next entrepreneur that's going to create some amazing invention that's going to make our quality of life even better. But we need to give people the chance to succeed. And so this is a brilliant, brilliant step. I wish it happened many, many years ago, but it's going to help alleviate a lot of things within our community because we do know that financial stress does lead to, it may lead to substance abuse as well, right? Or homelessness. And homelessness. And so we want to ensure that people are economically empowered, and this is just the first step. But in addition to that, I want to see, I want to ensure that people have access to, you know, uh, financial counselors so that they're not, you know, within this this new realm of financial freedom and not, you know, able to manage and get the most benefit out of it. Pavel, you um, sound like you had a wrap up. Uh, yeah, no, no. So, so I think, uh, you know, beyond that, uh, the 10,000 was not enough. You know, I, I just met, I was knocking on doors. I met this young man that wants to be a teacher. As a former teacher, I'll tell you, teachers don't get paid enough. He says he's going to be graduating from UMass Lowell with over $60,000 in debt. I didn't know what to say to the kid. Because how is he as a teacher going to be able to afford those payments? How long is it going to take him for him to reach his version of the American dream, buy the type of house that he wants, um, you know, and have a family? So, like, that's what's front and center. I actually was expecting that instead of ten thousand, it'd be like fifty thousand or something that a little bit more extensive uh, that would be able to help people. That ten thousand dollars is not going to help this kid at all. Mm-hmm. Well, what's actually, what he had, what he had um, said that he was going to do was just wipe out all that. So there's also that, that, public, that, the that was, there the is also the public yes. service <laughs> loan forgiveness program that does assist teachers and social workers mm-hmm. to be able to get that loan forgiveness. Um, it is within ten years, but we can look at restructuring that program so that it's a shorter time frame as well. This is just the first step. I agree, we need to push for more, but we need to also not start from scratch and look at the programs that we have in place isn't and the real, fortify them. Isn't the real problem that colleges are just charging so, too much? So that's what I, I was, mean. The I, cost is just so exorbitant uh, for a, for a, for someone yep. to graduate with a teaching degree and owe sixty thousand dollars. You go back only twenty years from a years. public school, from a state right. school. But if you go back only twenty years, that that probably would have been ten thousand or fifteen. So shouldn't we? Shouldn't U.S. state senators be pressuring these colleges to make government school uh, make universities more? Uh, so this affordable? is this is what occurred uh, back in the early two thousands. Uh, the state stopped investing in higher education. So they were investing less and less and less. And so uh, the public schools in Massachusetts were forced to increase fees. Now that's, they can, they, uh, to increase tuition, it has to be, there has to be a vote uh, within the, the, the state house. Uh, but to increase fees, they just need their board to, to do that. Um, and I think that we need to reevaluate that. And I think that as a state senator, I'm going to be pushing for more investment into higher education uh, to try to uh, make things so that um, it's more affordable uh, for folks. I think that we also have to 
look at the early college program I, I talked to you about uh, that is in Lawrence so that way when a kid uh, graduates high school that they're able to um, go into college already with one or two years like done. So they on, they're only paying for, uh, for two years. And uh, to, back to my point about vocational training, I have met so many, a couple of my friends that uh, I was in law school with, that I was in my master's program, are now real estate agents. They took on all these loans and they're focusing on uh, 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 you know, the, the real estate market. They didn't need a college degree for that. So I think that if we have these conversations in high school about the skill sets that they have and what they want to do, we might find that there are uh, uh, several people that are not going that route. I think that 30 years ago, when you said to a kid, go to college, because that means that you will, you will be successful, that is not the case right now. You can graduate with a college degree and not find a job. My daughter has a doctoral degree and can't find a job. And she has a the, doctoral degree. That's the case with many. So I don't agree with the, with the plight of, of universities and the way that they've rapidly, re, they've rapidly increased their fees over 20% within the last several years because there's grant funding available for them to cover operating costs. And so these universities and, and, and colleges do have large development offices that can seek those grants. You have people who are sitting in offices that are making six figures that can go after grants to make college more affordable. And they have for, private but, but, but they have so, private and so that should have well. been the route so, as opposed to putting the the cost of operations yeah. on the backs have, of people yeah. who are trying to advance themselves it just seems through so, higher so education. Private, it just seems yeah. to me that if the if the real issue is, and I think we all agree the real issue is that colleges are charging too much, they all have billions of dollars in endowments, all of them, yes. right? Private why aren't the, the why private are, ones, why, not, the, yeah. not the public ones? Public schools do have endowments. When but, I was at but, UMass Lowell, I Harvard. helped to start an endowment with yeah. several but, students. But there. they don't they don't have billions of dollars of in, in the endowment. Um, that'd be great if they did, and I think things would, might be a little bit different if they did. Some public um, schools do. Maybe this it, is something that you know, as a, as the senator, I want to. I want to have to take. We a started look off. At it. We started this off on immigration, and I just have one more question on immigration, and then I got my last question. Um, it seems as though I think I watched what they called the debate when you got the last time you guys got together the forum. Uh, it seemed like you all favor giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens, and um, the, what I heard from all of you was, "Well, they're going to drive anyway, so at least if they have a license, we know who they are. They're registered, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. I'm, I'm wondering if that's ad, if that's an adequate answer because we could use that for anything. I mean, uh, should we make people rob banks anyway? Should we make bank robbery okay? People assault people anyway. Should we make assaulting okay? If someone's not here legally, should we be giving them benefits when there are people who have come here the right way who aren't getting such benefits? The undocumented so uh, undocumented uh, workers uh, are taxpayers as well. So they're investing into this community. They need to get to and from work. They should have access to driver's but licenses I think so that because they are I mean yeah. to your point they are necess- they are driving. They are trying to feed their families. But they how are they working? How positive. are they working if they don't have a social security number? How are they paying taxes? Tom, you know better than that. You know that you know that a lot of undocumented individuals are working within within this country, within the state. Right, but if they I don't have, think, if they don't have a social security number, I think it should be separate. It is. Separate. I, I think I think it should be separate. In in in, in regards to um, if they're undocumented or if, or if they have paperwork, you know, if they're legally here. Right. Um. So so that we can know what's going on with them if they're. Looking to get into uh, to be citizens, um, so that we could help them. It's just like um, I'll give you an example: public benefits. That all changed a few years back. 
Now it's like you only have a certain amount of time to be on benefits. So it's the same thing. That's maybe what we should, we should do. If they need the help, provide the help, but also help them to become citizens since they're already here and they're being productive. You know, but if they're not being productive, then that's a whole different ballgame. Agreed. So I think, I think that there's this myth that uh, there are tons of undocumented people that choose not to be citizens. I think if there was a pathway and you asked them to pay, whatever it is that they had to pay, they would find a way to pay that. Uh, the undocumented immigrants that I've met are uh, hardworking people and, uh, and consider themselves American, regardless of, of uh, where they came from. Um, and I think that the, the idea is to ensure that if uh, that other individuals are protected as well. If someone is driving and you happen to, um, you know, your car gets hit. This person now, not, not because they have a license, now they're able to, to get insurance. And these other individuals are, are protected. So I think that this is protecting the overall community as well as ensuring and allowing these individuals to be productive members of society. I want to come back to my question to Eunice. You guys all said illegal aliens are working and they're paying taxes. But if they're illegal, they don't have a social security number and they can't be paying taxes. So if they are working and they are paying taxes, they're illegally using someone else's social security number. So should we be rewarding them is the question, I guess. Anybody? So I don't like the term that you're saying, rewarding them, right? So we do have undocumented individuals that are in this country for one reason or another. And there are individuals in the, within this country that are trying to become citizens, but there are a lot of barriers. You have people, no matter how hard they try, there are people out there who are trying to take advantage in the process. Becoming a, a U.S. citizen is a very expensive process, but it's doubly expensive when you have perpetrators out there trying to take advantage of someone who's trying to do things the right way. And so that's what we are, we are finding. We're finding people who are working hard, trying to save money so that they can get their paperwork together so that they can have the right forms in place so that their family can continue to live here in peace with dignity because you don't know what situation they came from in the country that they were coming from. You don't know if they were being persecuted. You don't know if their families back home were were killed and they fled their country for their own lives. You don't know if they came over here on a boat, if they lost family members on the way. You don't know what their situation is for them to be here as an undocumented uh, as an undocumented person within this country with all of the anger and angst against undocumented persons, it's not the best position to be in, honestly. I, I and agree. We know I that. agree what and you're so, saying. But, but they, I, are I here, they are here because they, they are should. trying to have a better way of life yes, for their family. But I still and they think should that have should the opportunity. They should citizens. have the opportunity to have their license so that they can get to and from work, so that they can feed of their course. families. Well, listen, so it's, a, it's a Democrat primary, so the people who are voting in your, in your race are going to agree with you way more than they agree with me. But wait, Tom, just to answer your question in regards to the taxes. So I think that as a senator... Uh, a senator's job would be to look at the tax code and see if there's something that we could do to change it so that we would be able to provide for these undocumented um, residents so that they are able to work until they, ab they are able to, you know, be citizens of, um, of their uh, cities or towns or whatever. Because the thing is, is that 
um, immigration law also needs to change. Immigration, we're so behind on immigration law. But what's the it's point? The, what's the point of changing the immigration laws when nobody follows them? I mean, the borders wide open, well, thousands well, the, every day are just walking across. Well, it's all a process. But why have it's a, all but a why process? Have, we need to why do have so the that, laws. So that uh, exactly what you're saying. Why have immigration so laws? Maybe, nobody forces them. So maybe we need to look at it, and maybe we need to change it, and maybe we need to. Uh, partner with those other countries where they're coming from. So, right. so, so I got one more question. So I'm going to let you guys wrap up on this one. Yeah, no, so what I'll, what I'll say, Tom, I mean, it's an interesting question, um, but as a state senator, we're not in charge of federal uh, immigration laws. Uh, what we can do is create policies that will affect the individuals of the state. Uh, and I think all of my colleagues, and it's great that we all uh, agree on this issue and that all of us, uh, whoever gets elected, is going to be uh, uh, championing and, uh, and protecting those rights. Um, yes, no, but I said tax. Tax, we do have state taxes that we could change because I did work at the IRS. And we have federal taxes and we have state taxes. So if the state of Massachusetts is willing to provide a change for undocumented um, residents, then that's something that we would definitely want I to do. I love the time, passion that you guys I all wanna, have on these issues. I want to push back on something that you said okay. that no one follows the immigration laws. Many people do follow the immigration laws. My parents, for instance, follow the immigration laws. Who's, when they who said that we here. weren't following immigration I did. laws? I did. I said, said. said they're not being oh, yes. forced. I said, so I'm pushing, yeah. So, <laughs> and so they they are being enforced. There are people who are do, going through the process, taking years, making sure they're filling out the right forms, going to the the USCIS. Well, my comment is not on the that. immigrant. My comment is on the government that is not enforcing. We, the border. We, that's what you're talking We're not enforcing about, right? the border. The they're border. walking. There's thousands a day walking in, and we're just busting them all over. We don't know who they are. They could be criminals from other countries. They could be rapists. They could be terrorists. And I'm sure 95 percent or 99 percent of them are wonderful human beings. But we don't know that. So, un unfortunately, the the country has been deporting quite a f quite thousands and thousands of people over the last several years on the border. We're not hearing all about it, but every day there are, there are airplane full of people who are trying to come to this this country undocumented, uh, who are being sent back. And so, yes, the, the country is following the immigration laws, but for the individuals that are here, that are undocumented, they should have the opportunity, I do agree with Doris on this, they should the, have the opportunity to try and follow the right steps to become citizens. If they are working here, they want to stay here and produce and to just have a better quality of life for them and their families, they should have the opportunity to do that. All right, my final question. What do you guys, would you guys, if you get elected, would you support mandatory vaccines? We've, we've got a, a, a civil war going on in this country over mandatory vaccines. Some people can't keep their jobs. I know a lot of state workers got fired. Uh, where do you guys stand on mandating vaccines? So I'm not in favor of mandating vaccines. I'm in favor of, of suggesting it. You know, I know me personally, I did get vaccinated. That was a, that was a health choice for me that I felt that I would be most protected in that that was the responsible thing for me to do for myself and my family. And so that I did that. I encouraged my family. I encouraged my friends to do so as well. However, I do understand there are religious um, exemptions as well for folks who it is against their spiritual beliefs to take any vaccines None whatsoever. And so I want to be respectful of that. And I understand that there's a lot of fear and there's an angst around it. But I would encourage people to get vaccinated because I personally believe that it is a tool that we have to protect ourselves and to keep ourselves in, in optimal health.
So I, I, so I, I agree I, with that. So I, I think agree, one of the I agree things, as well. So one of the things that we need okay, to do. I'll go last. Go ahead. One of the things that we need to do is it has to be separating this discussion between vaccinations dealing with COVID and then vaccinations that uh, children get. Uh, so I think the vaccinations that it's, it's mandated if you're uh, going to be, unless you have certain exceptions, that if you're going to put your kid in schools, you have to take the measles shots. I, think I, that, I agree. I, think I was talking about that, the COVID. Right. So I think that there's vaccine. a difference between that and the COVID Because I'm pro-vax on all the other vaxes because all those other vaccines have had 20 years of clinical trials and they've been approved. This one hasn't. So I think that's why it's so controversial. Yeah, and I understand. But I think when, when those vaccines first got started, there was the same fear because they didn't, when they first came, they didn't have years of, of clinical trials uh, to you know, base their research on. But uh, so I think that we need to separate that. And I, I think that as a government, um, us to, again, uh, force uh, the, uh, the issue of someone to make their own health choices. Um, I, I have issues with that. But I think that. Um, if the private sector, if a company says, if I'm the CEO of a company and I said, you know, to, to work here, you have to be vaccinated, those are two different things. Is that okay if a company says so, you have so to? So I say if, if you are the owner of your company, right, and you could do what, if you tell, you, you want everyone to come dressed in purple, that's your right as a, uh, uh, as well, but, a but entrepreneur. We have, but we do have HIPAA laws. I mean, why should, who is my employer to say they want access to my medical information? They should have no access to my medical so information. What, so I think what they're saying is, uh, well, I mean, they, they tend to do because uh, usually you have health insurance with them. So they have some access to your medical uh, information. But I think if they ask that in order to be uh, within their building, you have to be vaccinated, they have the right to do that. All right, Doris? So in regards to the COVID vaccination, um, I as well did get vaccinated. But I think that um, I don't think it should be mandated. I think we should be able to encourage people to uh, get vaccinated and also um, let them know that they have options. But in regards to the mandated part, I do agree that if it's like a hospital where you're dealing with people who do have COVID or are sick or are prone to continue the cycle of the COVID, then yes, I, I do believe that they should get mandated in regards to the vaccination. So it's, it's, we would have to weigh the options of, you know, who, who, who's working with um, people who are at high risk of COVID and who's not working with people who are not at high risk of COVID. Is there anything you guys want me to ask, was there anything that you wanted to talk about today that didn't get raised? Is there anything in particular you want to address? Yeah, so, so, so I think one of the things that we didn't touch on uh, is around economic development. Um, I think that the next state senator has to be someone that is going to uh, be able to create the create partnerships between local leaders uh, and be able to bring uh, investment and support uh, from the state to create uh, good development uh, plans, you know, across the region. And I think I'm, I'm somebody that can do that. You know, one of the things that I look at is I look at the, uh, the loop. And I think to myself, you know, for the past couple of years, I've been thinking the movie theater industry is dying. What's going to happen in the loop? As, a, as the next state senator, I'm going to make sure that I'm working with the local partners to think of ideas, not just the loop, but just across the board on what we can do, how can we make things different, uh, and ensure that we're creating jobs and opportunities um, for across the region. Because if we create jobs in Methuen, those are jobs that people from Haver and Lawrence uh, and the rest of the area are able to take as well. Uh, so I think the two of the biggest, the three big, big important issues uh, that is affecting everyday people, this is what people talk to me when I knock on doors. They talk about jobs, 
uh, not being able to have money to pay rent, pay for gas, pay for gas insurance. So that's huge. And I think as the next state senator, we got to focus on that. Um, education and housing are the rest. But I think that if you are able to ensure that people have uh, the resources to provide for their family, some of these other things get fixed as well. Anybody else? I agree because it's like I mentioned before, it's it's a cycle. One thing affects another. And I, I believe that we do need um, to work on economic development. And I know as your next senator, I am able to do that. I have done that in the past. Um, when I wrote the grant for the city of Lawrence, uh, which they've continued to use throughout the years um, in regards to the $3 million to def- uh, delete the uh, housing stock. Um, I was able to work with different uh, representatives, different uh, mayors, different um, partnerships uh, in order to get that done. So I have done it and I have pro- produced results. Um, unfortunately, I am not a counselor as both my um, other opponents, but I do have the qualification and the experience and the knowledge to do the job. Thank you. So I appreciate that both my colleagues have talked about economic development and jobs. As a city councilor, I have been a partner with several uh, companies that have come into the city to create jobs. We have new balance that entered into the city. I was glad to to vote on approving that. We have Factorial, who actually just had a groundbreaking just before uh, before this debate, so I wasn't able to attend, but that's going to bring, both those initiatives have brought hundreds of jobs. At The Loop, I've been able to be a champion for bringing businesses in, collaborating with the mayor, collaborating with Loop Management to bring jobs in, to ensure that that is a large uh, tax base with, within the city that is there to say that is strengthened. These are things that I have done. It's not just things that I will do when elected as state senator. I think it's important for us to look at legacy and track record of leadership. As a city councilor, I have a track record of showing up. I'm the only candidate that can speak to the ability to show up regardless of how long the meetings are. When I started, and Tom, you know this well, when I started on the council, we were meeting until 1 a.m., 2 a.m. in the morning, and meetings. I had to get up at 6.30 in the morning to get to work. I made it to every regularly scheduled meeting for the city council, no matter how hard it was, no matter how long the meeting was, because that was important to me. People who elected me and put me in the city council seat deserve to have leadership that's going to show up no matter what. And I have proven that, and I will continue to prove that when elected your state senator, you will have someone who's accessible. You will have someone that's not just going to be there in person and name only, but that's going to get results. Within my first year of the council, I said I wanted to do things differently, and I did. Within my second month, I started the Economic Development Committee. Within fall of that year, we established Methuen Day, which is now a community tradition that brings over 5,000 people to our downtown so they can be part of the transformative development that's going to be taking place down there. Yeah, but Methuen Day only happened how many times since you've been in office? It's happened every year that I've been in office. No, it hasn't. It hasn't. It didn't happen during COVID, did it? It did happen during COVID. Oh, we did had, it? Yeah, you guys had like a drive-through, right? We like had a drive-through. That was pretty Because fun. my community deserved it. We had a drive-through. It was a hybrid. We had a drive-through and there was a virtual component to it as well because community, meter, community members needed to have some sense of unity, even if it was social distance, because I know 
what resources the community needs. I know how to bring people together, regardless of the barriers. I will step up and stand up for so you. So then why well, did you decide to run if you knew that you were going to run for this seat? Why did you decide to run? Well, actually, this goes to both of you. Why did you both decide to run for this seat if you know that you just got elected to be a... a a counselor for each town, so, taking away from other candidates to represent. So Doris, I didn't take away from any candidates. I've proudly served my community since 2018. In Methuen, unlike in other communities, we do have term limits. So this is the last term that so I can serve the community. So don't you think you should have waited so till your term limit was ended? This is the opportunity for me to run. This is not an opportunity This is the opportunity to run. Doris, I appreciate you. should have not I, ran. I appreciate Because you're your, taking away from other candidates the ability to, to represent the city of Methuen. If that's what most smart people do, it, they back up and they don't run because they know they're going to go for another seat. That's the right thing to do. Now you're going to leave the seat empty um, and instead of having someone represent the city of Methuen. I appreciate, if you win, because I, most likely you probably won't. I appreciate Yikes. your opinion, Doris. However, my decision as to when I'm going to run for, what I'm going to run for, is my decision and no, my course, decision of alone. Course, of course, it's and your decision, so but it's not I your decision alone. It's the constituents that put you, you in that, that seat. <laughs> it, it is my decision. And to both of them. It is my he's decision. very quiet over there. He knows very well what, Doris, what I'm saying as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate okay. that. It yes. is my decision when I'm going to run for, what I'm going to run for. And I'm running because I am the best candidate but now who's you're leaving going a to seat support empty. the community. If you... If, if, you're going to so, leave a seat empty. So let, let's uh, let's get back. So if elected. I, so if I, I, I will say one most thing. likely yeah. not. I was going to end this so, five minutes ago. I'm <laughs> going to let him go. <laughs> um, no, but let, let, let's get back to talking about okay. economic development. You know development. what? You know, the, you know, the voters I, could just vote for me, and they could both stay in their seats. <laughs> hey, perfect. Uh, wow, we were so, having such go. a pleasant conversation up so, until now. <laughs> Thank you for changing that, Doris. Uh, so what what I will say. <laughs> it is a debate. What, so you got to, you know, make it a little bit spicy. Let's let Pavel get in here a little bit. And then we're going to wrap up. So I think. I think it's important that uh, whoever the next state senator, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I want to make sure uh, that that leadership does, it's uh, that we're talking about like real issues and we're talking about um, things that, uh, you know, creating the type of plans that will have uh, long term positive consequences for uh, the entire region. Um, right now, a lot of the economic do development plans that we've done are I think that they're not long-term enough, you know, that there is basically whatever development project comes, uh, we try to think, oh, is this going to be good? Uh, and we are not connecting it to, uh, you know, anything else. So I see uh, myself as the type of work that I've done uh, these last five years as a, uh, as a city councilor. And from throughout my 12 years, um, I've seen myself uh, as someone that brings people from different sides uh, to come together uh, to give their input and so we can all sort of work on uh, some... Um, sort of common solutions to our, our everyday problems. Uh, I will say... But I, you dodged the I, question, I, too, Pavel. You dodged the question, the, too. No, the, I mean, no, it's, it's, <laughs> not, it's not, not a dodge, Doris. So I will say, <laughs> listen, man, uh, the, the thing that I hate but about if, politics, you know, Doris, I'm sorry, so the thing that I hate no, about I'm just, politics, I'm just, I, I will be real. Listen, I, 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 respect, <laughs> I respect both of you. I don't like this, like this bickering, this like... No, we're this, not bickering. Like, this, I'm just asking this, you a simple these, question. These, if you know that you were going to run, then why did you run for city council so, so, at large? And so, then at so large, listen, so, when you have good yeah, qualifying sure, Doris. Yeah, candidates me, that could have been actually give, in the seat right now. You got to let me answer the question now. So, so one, right? I think that uh, any resident has the opportunity to run. 
No, right? of course. So everybody. Um, at the end of the day, the voters choose who's qualified. Yes, the, the voters, voters are choose, choose whose yes. vision yes. they want, mm-hmm. right? Um, both of our terms end. Um, you don't have term and, limits. So no, both of our terms are two year terms, right? Yeah, but you don't we have, have term put, limits put, put doors, versus her. Doors, let me let me let me speak. Like if if, if I'm not gonna <laughs> be allowed to speak, no, no, no. Just, no I just want to make sure. To another so, so the question is, we got we got to wrap up because we're over time. The, the the question is, and it's something that I asked both the, all, yeah. all, all, both, so, both you both councils when they were here individually. Why did you run for council knowing you were going to run yeah, for so, Senate and so, now you're going to leave a seat th- open? So thank you, Tom. So, so one, I, I will say that when I leave, I think the person that will replace me or will likely replace me, I think could do a good job. He's actually sitting right in front of me, right? So I, I think that, uh, you know, if, if I get elected, uh, I am confident in, in the leadership that will come after me. So that's one. Two, uh, you know, none of us, the way that the elections go, right? There's an election in September, there's an election in November. Uh, you know, this seat was redistricted way into our campaign. Maybe things would have been different if this was redistricting occurred uh, earlier uh, in the year. It didn't. So, you know, we're faced with what we're faced with. I would say I think that regardless of, you know, uh, any issues that uh, sometimes happen through the campaign, I respect both of you. I think both of you, all three of us are doing this because we are passionate. We care we're about not, the I'm people. not disrespecting anyone. I'm so, just asking and, the and, questions. And I think, and because of that, I think all three of us have the right to run for these positions. Of course, but you also have to think about the residents. The residents put you there so that you'll be able to you and, know, and be there for them. I really don't but, want to cut this off. I want them to kill each other for at least another <laughs> 20 minutes, but we're up against time here. So um, you guys ate up a lot of time. So rather than having you do a, a, a closing statement, what I'd rather you do is tell the people at home who are thinking of supporting you how they can get in touch with you, how they can make a donation, how they can help your campaign or volunteer. Just give them the contact information rather than making a closing statement because we are over time. And uh, we started with Doris, so we'll start with Doris. Again, my name is Doris Veronica Rodriguez. I'm running for state senate here for the first uh, district, first Essex district, Lawrence, Methuen, and parts of Haverhill. You could contact me at 978-648-1999. You could also visit my campaign website, which is www.dorisvrodriguez.com. And all, all social media, also, you could find me, just put in my name. And please come out and vote September 6th. And I look forward to your vote. Thank you very much. It's votedorisrodriguez.com. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hi, my name is Eunice Ziegler. I'm your candidate for the 1st Essex State Senate District. I'm running because I want to represent you in the State Senate. My contact information is eunicezigler.com. That's E-U-N-I-C-E-Z-E-I-G-L-E-R. I can be reached by cell at 978-576-1196. I'm accessible to you on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, you name it. I do hope for your consideration and your vote. Early voting starts on August 27th through September 2nd, and the polls open on September 6th from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. It is your only opportunity to vote for me for this state Senate seat. I hope you all come out, and I do appreciate your time and your support. Council? Uh, I want to thank all of you for listening to us. Uh, I want to thank um, the, my, my two colleagues that are sitting in this table for uh, engaging in this discussion. Um, I hope that 
over the course of the next 11 days and the, the last several months uh, that you have had an opportunity to uh, to look me up, to look at my experience, to look at uh, that I'm an individual with How passion. How do they do that? Uh, individual with passion that is going to work to lift our communities and, and move it forward. Uh, to find out more about me or to get in contact with me, you can go to my website, www.pavelpiano.com. Uh, and there you can uh, join our listserv. You can ask me a question. Uh, also, I always make my personal n- number uh, accessible to all my constituents. Uh, my telephone number is 978-270-7487. Again, 978-270-7487. Feel free to give me a call, uh, and hopefully we can engage in some good conversations. Thank you, and I hope that on Election Day I would have earned your vote. All right. I wanted to thank everyone as well, and no, also you, Tom, uh, okay, thank and, you. and your staff. Thank, thank and, you. And yes, Chrissy, you did a great job. Chrissy, thank you, Chrissy. Thank you so yes. much. I want to thank our Amazing. sponsors. You can roll up, Mel. I want to thank our sponsors, AFC Urgent Care. They're now doing immigration physicals. If uh, you're trying to become a citizen, you need a physical, go to AFC Urgent Care. Uh, Francisco Polino, candidate for state representative. Marcos Devers, our current state representative. Estella Reyes, candidate for state representative. And Paul Tucker, candidate for district attorney. We also want to thank our regular sponsors, McLennan Real Estate, Lazy River Products, and Drake It, Marsan and Sun Construction, EIS Investigation, Morelli's Deli, where I'd be going after this, but they close at four. Tomo and Shaken Seafood, and a free shout out to our friend uh, Dave Id Consoli at Pleasant Valley Landscaping, as well as JG's Ice Cream. I want to thank Chrissy. I want to thank all of these candidates. It's in the middle, of, we're at the end of August. It's 90 degrees outside. They could be at the beach, they could be knocking doors. They were here for you so that you could assess them as a candidate, and that says a lot for them. Please remember to vote September 6th, no matter who you vote for. And it sounds like Melvin Taylor says you got to go home, so go home already. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.